Don't you love worshiping the Lord? And I love worshiping the Lord with you. It's truly privilege. Didn't they do an amazing job up here, by the way? We we have three books left in the Old Testament. Can you believe it? It's amazing. Uh, it, this is one of those sections in the Bible uh, called the post-exilic prophets. And these are the prophets, the last three in the Old Testament that speak to those uh, Jews, those Israelites that have come back from Babylon and are now living in uh, Jerusalem. They, they've been in, for 70 years, they've been in Babylon uh, without a, a national homeland, with, without a temple, without a capital that they could call uh, their own. And for 70 years, uh, they've been living in a foreign country called Babylon. Uh, and, and of course, you know, Haggai and Zechariah, they're going to be contemporaries. That just means that they uh, prophesied during the same uh, time period. They prophesied during the time period of Ezra and Nehemiah and also Daniel. In fact, the king that we're going to see mentioned here by dates, very accurately uh, by dates, is going to be the same king uh, that Daniel is serving some 1,000 miles all the way in uh, Babylon. And, and so you see how the way the Lord works in, in amazing ways. He, he's using these prophets here, these, these minor prophets, or these, these prophets with a, a smaller message, yet still very, very powerful to speak to the people in their homeland. And then he's also using Daniel at the same time, the same king, Darius, and we're going to read in the very first verse of both of these books, is the same guy that put uh, Daniel in the lion's den. Th this is the same king that now comes on the throne in Babylon. In fact, in the very first two verses here in the book of uh, Haggai, and by the way, Haggai is one of those books that if you turn a page, you miss it. You know, only two chapters. Uh, the, the second smallest of all, the or second shortest of all the Old Testament uh, books. It says there in Haggai uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 1, In the second year of Darius the king, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of Yahweh came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, a governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus says Yahweh of hosts, This people says the time has not come, even the time for the house of Yahweh to be rebuilt. And so, Father, as we approach this a short but powerful book. This, this book and also the book of Zechariah tonight, Lord, as we, we approach this section in the scriptures where uh, many times it, it's kind of foreign to us because it, it, it was written, you know, a long time ago in a, in a country uh, far, far away. And, and at times we, you know, we read these things and how does it apply to me? So, Lord, open up our hearts, our minds tonight, and help us to see that it, it is just as applicable today as when it was written, as all your word is, as the whole scriptures are, as the whole Bible is, that, that we can apply it to our lives even today. Lord, help us to see ourselves, there are our own selfish hearts, mirrored in, in these verses as the Israelites were. And help us to remember your word, your house, uh, to serve you with all of our hearts, Lord. So, Lord, I ask that you bless these, my friends and my family gathered here tonight. Use this for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, Haggai, as with every single one of the minor prophets, has a, a meaning to his name. His name means uh, to gather for a festival or my holidays. And, and Haggai is going to bring out uh, this uh, aspect of partying or, or bringing into the temple itself. And that at this time, the temple is unbuilt. This is why the people are, are saying what they're saying there in verse uh, 2. Uh, but Haggai is going to bring about this revival that takes place 
this encouragement, this exhortation, rebuild the house of the Lord. And you remember when we were reading the book of Ezekiel, uh, we saw the Spirit of the Lord leave the temple. We, we, we saw the Spirit of the Lord uh, go not only to the very entrance of the temple, but also leave that entrance, go through the eastern gate, and then leave uh, Jerusalem. That, that Holy Spirit that had been a representation here on earth for the people of Israel, God living with them. And, and now uh, the Holy Spirit has left that temple. The temple has been uh, destroyed. They come back to the land after 70 years. And the first thing they want to do is rebuild the temple. And they do an amazing job. They lay the foundation and then they stop. And they get distracted, just like all of us do. We get easily distracted. And, and they had laid this foundation. They had all this support from Babylon. They would started building uh, the temple, but then they got busy doing their own things, like rebuilding their houses like building their places to live like like and and all these things of course are good in their time but what happens when we prioritize our own selfish desires over the desires of God and God's going to bless them if they put God first just as he always does but unfortunately since they're not putting God first they're going to be judged. They're going to be disciplined because of that. Haggai is the first of the post-exilic uh, prophets. That just means that those are the prophets that came after uh, the exile. Those are the prophets that lived during the time approximately uh, uh, about 400, 450, 500 uh, B.C. In fact, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi are going to be these transitioning books to uh, the New Testament. They're, they're going to be the, the segues into uh, the New Testament time period. Uh, Haggai and Zechariah are the most accurate in terms of dates. We know exact dates and times for when these were written. And, and the reason why we have this exact dates is because of the king who is uh, the reigning at this time, the known world, Babylon, King Darius is on the throne. And so we know exactly when he reigned. We know exactly when his second uh, year was. We know when the first month or the sixth month or the certain day of uh, that month was. And so because of that, Haggai and Zechariah being very, very accurate confirm not only with history, but also with archaeology as well, all these truths that we're going to be reading here tonight about the rebuilding of the temple of God. The first thing you notice there in uh, verse 1 is that there's two leaders, two prominent leaders in the nation of Israel. The first one here, and we're going to see him in not only in Haggai, Zechariah, but also in Nehemiah and Ezra as well, is this guy by the name of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, okay? I know it's a tongue twister, but, but Zerubbabel is, has a certain title, okay? He's not the king, okay? He's given this title of a governor. In fact, from now on, starting with Zerubbabel, there will no longer be any Jewish kings, okay? There's going to be pretenders to the throne that we're going to see in the book of Matthew, but, but they're not Jewish kings, okay? They're not from the line of uh, David until the Messiah sits on the throne. And so during this time, they have governors, okay? And Zerubbabel is the first of these uh, governors. The second person that we're introduced here to is Joshua. This isn't the Joshua from the book of Joshua. This is a, a Joshua who lived approximately a thousand years later. This guy by the name of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak. And he's going to take a very prominent role when we get to the book of Zechariah. In fact, one of the most beautiful stories we're going to be reading this next week is all about Joshua. And, and and just how he felt being a high priest. 
the first of the high priests to come back to uh, the temple that is now being rebuilt. And, and just his insecurities and how the Lord establishes that. And so next week will be absolutely uh, an amazing story that you'll get to see about Joshua. But tonight we get to see uh, the rebuilding of the temple. In fact, in verse 3 there it says, Then the word of Yahweh came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to live in your paneled houses while this house lies wait. So now, thus says Yahweh of hosts, set your heart to consider your ways. You have not sown much, but you bring in, you have sown much, but bring in little. You eat, but there is not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there is not enough to be drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages to put into a bag with Holes, and I'm sure many of you can relate to this. That this is one of those illustrations that we've seen multiple times, not only here in the book of Haggai, but also in the book of, of Amos as well. You see, they had come to the land and they had started out amazingly well. They laid the foundation of the temple. They had started even rebuilding the walls until Nehemiah has to come and, and kind of uh, uh, kick them in the rear end and make them, you know, go faster because they have now become complacent. And, and it's so easy to become complacent. It's, it's so easy to become, you know, well, well I've, I've, I've given my part. Uh, the, you know, I've done, I've done my portion. I'll let someone else work now. And you notice that they're living in these paneled houses. And of course, paneled houses of this time they would have been uh, made out of uh, nice wood, not plywood. You know, this would have been wood that had actually been, uh, a, you know, layered over and polished in such a way that it looked uh, amazing in terms of the grain of uh, the wood. They had put time into their own houses, but what has now happened to the house of the Lord? It's just a, a slab. It's just a foundation. That's it. The walls haven't been rebuilt. The roof hasn't been put on. Uh, the, the people haven't put in the time to rebuild uh, the temple itself. You notice there what happens when we put ourselves first. And, and it always defies logic, but it's always in the economy of God. If we put God first, what happens to us? He blesses us. He, 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 you know, thinks of us. But when I think of myself first, and again, thank God that, you know, he always provides a way for us to think of him first. But when I put myself first, what happens? You see the description there in verse 6, right? They, they, they put in their time to their fields. They put in their time uh, to their things, they put in time to what they wanted, and did it ever satisfy? Have you ever had a, a wallet that, you know, you thought you had money in it, and, and then you go to open it up, and there's nothing there, except for moths or something like that, and, and you wonder where all the money went, right? And, and then, you know, and, and hopefully you've experienced this as well, you, 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 you know, whether it's give your time to the Lord or, or do something for the Lord. And all of a sudden, you know, you, the Lord blesses you somehow. It's amazing how he does it in so many creative ways. And then you open up your wallet and there's something that you had that you didn't think you had. The blessing of the Lord. You see, this is what, this is what the description here is. They, they, they had all this money coming in, but what happened to the bag that had the money? Just a bunch of holes in it, right? You, you know, and, and whether it's a, a family or just ill management or, 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 you know, squandering your finances on things that you really don't need, which we all do, unfortunately. What happens? Gone like and the Lord challenges the people of Israel, just give me your time to rebuild the temple and I will bless you. 
will bless you. Verse 7, thus says Yahweh of hosts. And by the way, we're in the, the legacy standard uh, Bible. Uh, just for the, the minor prophets, these 12 books here. And the reason why is because every time we see the, the name of God, uh, Yahweh, uh, rather than translating it as Lord, it's translated as, as Yahweh uh, in, in this version here. It says, Yahweh of hosts, set your heart to consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and rebuild the house of God that I may be pleased with it and be glorified. For look, you look for much, but behold, it comes to little. You bring it home and I blow it away. Why? Declares Yahweh of hosts, because my house which lies waste while each of you runs to his own house. Therefore, because of you, the sky has restrained its the earth has restrained its produce, and I called for a drought on the land, on the mountains, on the grain, on the new wine, on the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on men, on cattle, on all the labors of your hand. I, I, I know that, you know, this is a Wednesday night, and people are, are tired on Wednesdays. There's other things that you could be doing right now. I always pray that the Lord would multiply your time, whether it's the, the Monday or, or Sundays or, or Friday nights, whatever day it is, that the Lord would bless you for coming. Because you're, you're giving up your time. You, you could be, you know, doing something else right now. But instead, you're, you're giving up your time to be here. You're, you're giving up your time to watch. And, and it's, you know, I, I know your hearts you're not doing it to be seen by someone you know there's there's no one in leadership in here except for my Atkinson, you know that that sees you here you're just doing it because you want to please the lord right you you just want to be in the presence of god during during the middle of week you want to be refreshed yourself you you want to have a a revival in your own heart and, and when god sees that kind of a heart when, when, when God sees that kind of a heart in you, he, he, he longs to bless his children. But unfortunately, the people of Israel, they've come back to the promised land because of the grace of God, and they've started rebuilding the temple, but they didn't finish it. Uh, uh, you know, don't raise your hand, okay? How many of you are procrastinators? It's easy to do, right? You know, I'll, I'll, I'll do it tomorrow or I'll do it next week. I'll, I'll start that whatever habit I want to, you know, cultivate in my life. I'll, I'll start it tomorrow, right? Or, or something I, I need to be watchful over in my life. I, I, I'll stop it tomorrow. It's called procrastination. And, and it's so easy to do. What the Lord is saying to the people of Israel, do it now. Do it now. Go up to the mountain. Bring the wood. Rebuild the house of God that I may be pleased with it and be glorified. Starting there in verse 12, it continues on. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shetiel, uh, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, Listen to the voice of Yahweh their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as Yahweh their God had sent him and the people feared Yahweh. What happens when a nation obeys? What happens when a people obey? The Lord sees and he blesses. Look at how he does that there in verse 13. Then Haggai, the messenger of Yahweh, spoke by the commissioned message of Yahweh to people saying, I am with you, declares Yahweh. So Yahweh stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shetiel, and the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and they did not or did work on the house of Yahweh of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month to the, uh, in, in the second year of Darius uh, the king. And if you look at 
these days. They, they start on the first day, and when do they end? On the 24th day. Within 23 days, they have completed the building of the temple. This is the outer walls. This is the, 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 the roof. This is the part of the building that is not the foundation, but the building that requires wood. And instead of using that wood for themselves, for their own houses, where are they putting their gifts and their abilities and their talents toward? Rebuilding the house of God. What, what happens when the whole church pitches in? What happens when a, a, a whole body of Christ pitches in? Isn't it amazing how quickly things get done? And, and the same thing with uh, this temple. If, if they kept procrastinating, if they kept putting it off, how long would it have taken? Infinitely. Tomorrow, 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 right? But when they put their minds to putting God first, they had started on the first day and they finished on the 24th day of the same exact month, by the way. Dates are very, very important. In fact, in this next chapter here, uh, we get the next set of dates. It's a month uh, later on the 21st of the seventh month. The word of Yahweh came by the hand of Haggai the prophet saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shetiel, uh, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who among you remains who saw this house in its former glory? And how do you see it now? Does it seem or does it not seem like nothing in your eyes? The people have been gone for 70 years. And some of those people that had been gone for 70 years, maybe they were 10 when they left, and when they come back, how old are they? 80 years old, right? Or, or maybe they were 8 years old, and now they're 78 years old approximately, right? And so when they were young, they remembered seeing King Solomon's temple. One of those wonders of the world. King Solomon had built one of the most magnificent buildings on the planet, this amazing temple, and he had covered even the doors themselves in gold. He, he had used some of the finest wood from Lebanon to build the house of God. And some of these people that had been young when they had left Israel as captives have now come back and are now older men and women. And they remembered what King Solomon's temple was like. And this temple that they're building now, it doesn't compare. In fact, it doesn't have the gold plating. It doesn't have the nice, you know, paneling or the nice accouterments that they had back in the time of King Solomon. But Haggai is going to say something extremely important to them because it's easy to compare. You go to a church that has paper ceilings. And it's easy to compare your church building to another building, right? You go to another, you know, nicer church in town that has stained glass windows and a steeple, right? Or maybe even an organ, you know, or, or, or they, have, they have amphitheater seating and nice big, uh, you know, speakers in the roof, right? And it's easy to compare our, you know, things to others. God doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to be content and satisfied with what we already have. Because I know this church, and the church is made up of the people. And this church has some of the most amazing people going. That This church has some of the most humble, blessing people that have been in this building. And I, I've been coming here for 16 years, you know, and the only thing that's changed the sanctuary is that it's been flipped around. That's it, in the stage up here instead of over there. But, but the understanding is that the people that come are the ones that make up the church. The, the people that were in here during the time of Haggai and Zechariah and Ezra and Nehemiah were the body 
of God, the people of God. And look at how it describes the people of God in the Israelites every single time we see them mentioned in Haggai. Over and over and over again, it uses this phrase, the remnant of Israel. It uses the remnant of Israel. Do you remember how many people came out of Egypt? And I, I know you guys are really, really smart. You guys remember all the way back to Exodus, right? How many people came out of Exodus, out of Egypt during the time of Exodus? Millions and millions. There was over three million people that came out of Egypt. Millions of people. You read Ezra, Nehemiah, Haggai, and Zechariah. Remnant is real because now they're down 2,000. And in some cases, some of the tribes are devastated all the way down to hundreds. It's truly, by definition, the word remnant. They, they, are, they are a small group of people. Now, they're, they're not in the millions anymore with a king who has tons of money to be able to spend on these buildings. They're, they're having to ration. They're having to use what they have. And when they rebuild this temple, they look at it, and some of them say, it's not like it was a long time ago. It's not the way we used to do things, right? So easy to say that. But what does Zerubbabel, Joshua, Haggai do? What do they say? Verse 4. But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares Yahweh. Be strong also, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And all you people of the land, be strong, declares Yahweh, and work for I. What, what happens when God is on our side? What happens when we put God first and he's on our side? No one can be against him. Over and over and over again, we see this amazing phrase, be strong in uh, the Lord. Verse 5, as for the promise which I cut with you when I came out of Egypt, my spirit is standing in your midst. Do not fear, for thus says Yahweh of hosts, once more in a little while I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and also the dry land, and I will shake all the nations, and they will come with the desirable things of all the nations, I will fill this house with glory, says Yahweh. By the way, this is ultimately fulfilled in what's called the millennial kingdom. But we're also going to see it even in this time period where Darius is going to give, and also Cyrus as well, he's going to give things to make not only the walls, but also the temple. Where, where a foreign king is actually going to donate the construction materials, uh, Israel. But even more importantly, verse 8, why does God need a temple? Why does God need our tithe? Why does God need money? He doesn't. Verse 8, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares Yahweh of hosts. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former. How can that ever be? That, that temple that was just absolutely mind-boggling, just beautiful, King Solomon's temple. How, how can this temple be greater than that temple? Do you know that you're a temple of the Holy Spirit, that you're a temple of God, that, that Jesus Christ actually lives in your heart, that, that you're called to be a temple, that this, this temple here, and, and there's going to be multiple things that happen in the course of the next 400 years. But Jesus Christ is actually going to walk in this temple. Where, where God incarnate is going to walk in this temple. Where Jesus Christ is going to come to this temple. And not only is he going to uh, you know, argue with the elders in this temple. But he's also going to teach as well. Isn't that amazing? To have the glory of God come physically to this very place. In Ezra chapter 3 verses 12 through 13, and again he's a, a contemporary with uh, Haggai, 
Uh, he describes it in this way. Yet many of the priests and the Levites and the heads of the father's household, the old man who had seen the first house of Yahweh, they were weeping with a loud voice when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, while, while many in loud shouts with gladness were raising their voices so that the people could not distinguish the voices of the shouting of gladness from the voices of the weeping of the people, for the people were shouting with a loud shout, and those voices were heard from afar. Those that were young, they were just glad to have a place to worship God. And the older people, they're, they're, they're comparing, you know, they're comparing to the way it used to be. God reminds them, this is my place. And the glory of this house is going to be greater than the glory of the previous. Do you, do you know why we're called a temple of the Holy Ghost or a temple of God? Do, do you know why that is so important? And I, I know, you know, it's easy to look on the outside and some of our temples are falling apart. You know, uh, different states of repair, if you will, right? But but what happens when Jesus Christ comes into your life? There, there's a transformation that takes place. We're called new creation. We're, we're given a, a new creation, a, a new spirit, right? The, the outer body, you know, yes, decays. But what happens to the inner man or, or the inner person of the heart? It gets more and more beautiful every single day that we're in the Lord. Every single day. It gets more and more beautiful. Haggai in chapter 2 verse 10 continues on there on the 24th of the ninth month, two months later in the second year of Darius, the word of Yahweh came to Haggai, the prophet, saying, Thus says Yahweh of hosts, ask now the priests about the law. If a man carries holy meat in the fold of his garment, touches bread with this fold or, or cooked food or, or wine or oil or any other food, it will become holy. And the priests answered, no. Uh, basically what the, uh, is happening here is there's a, a theological argument that is taking place. And of course, you know, the law is very exact, it's very detailed in how it describes unclean things and clean things. Uh, if you go to the book of Leviticus, the book of Numbers, the book of Deuteronomy, it describes in big, long, detailed lists the parts of the Bible where we normally skip over. You know, those, those detailed lists that describe not only fish or animals or, or grasshoppers or all these different things that are, that are clean or unclean, right? And we think they don't apply to us today, so why, you know, read it? But, but they're debating these various unclean laws. And, and so the first uh, debate that, that they're having here is if I have a piece of holy meat, a, a piece of meat that's been sanctified, and, and I, I put this, you know, uh, meat uh, in a, the folds of a garment or, or a piece of cloth, Will that cloth become holy? Will the, will the holiness of that meat be transferred to the cloth? And the obvious answer there is, is no. And then Haggai said, if, if one who is unclean from a corpse touches any of these, will the latter become unclean? If, if someone who is unclean touches this holy meat, what will happen to that meat? And the priest answered, it will become unclean. And, and there's a, a lesson that Haggai is trying to get across to the people. You can't transfer holiness to something that's neutral or unclean, but you can transfer uncleanness to something that's holy. You, you can put a bad piece of fruit in with a whole bunch of good fruit, and what will happen to that bag of fruit the very next morning? It'll all become bad. The, the bad piece of fruit won't become ripe or, you know, good, okay? What will happen? The, the unclean thing or the damaged thing will ruin those things that are good. And you all know the lesson. That's exactly what that happens with people, right? 
Your mom warned you about it. Your grandma warned you are going to hang out with those people. You're going to date that person, right? Oh, no, I can handle it. We've all been burned, right? Verse 14, then Haggai answered and said, so is this people and so is this nation before me, declares Yahweh. And so is every work of their hands and what they bring to me there is unclean. But now, O oh, set your heart to consider from this day onward, from before one stone was set on another in the temple of Yahweh, before you even got to the land, before you even laid the foundation, I was already preparing the way, God says. From when it was, when that was that one came to a grain heap or 20 measures, and then there would be only 10. And, and from when one came to the vine vat, wine vat to draw out 50 troughs full, uh, then there would be only 20. I struck you in every work of your hands with scorching wind, mildew and hail, yet you did not come back to me, declares Yahweh. Oh, set your heart to consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, from the day when the temple of Yahweh was founded, Set your heart to consider. And by the way, the people of Israel at this time, uh, during this time that Haggai is speaking, many of them are starting to look at the foreign uh, people in the land. And, and, you know, there's nothing wrong with marrying outside their nationality. What was happening is they were looking at and, you know, considering marrying outside the national history of Israel, and they were being enticed by the idols. They were being enticed by the people that were having traditions other than uh, their own. Verse 19, is the seed still in the barn, even including the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, the olive tree? It is not born fruit, yet from this day on, I will bless you. You see, there's a blessing in giving to the Lord. There's a blessing in giving to the Lord. Why, why do we tithe? Why, why, why do we give of the first fruits, as the Bible says? Why, why, why do we give a portion of what, what we earn to uh, the body of Christ or to the Lord? Have you ever considered this? How, how much of your energy has God given you? 100%. How much of your, you know, uh, money has God given you? 100%, right? And what, what does he ask in return? 10%. Is that a pretty good deal? Because those of you that know this and, and every single one of us do in our own, own ways, it's so easy to say, I, I got this job. I earned this paycheck. I did this. I did that, right? Rather than acknowledge it was God who gave it to us in the first place. It was God who gave it to us first. And by the way, you know, you know, on Wednesday nights and, and, you know, none of us here, you know, the guys in the back, me, we don't get paid. We're all volunteers. You know, you, you give a, a tie that doesn't go to us. You know, it, it, we, get, we get no part of it. The privilege is just giving, right? You, you know, the air conditioning, all the things that go on behind the scenes that together we can that's going to be happening on, on Friday and Sunday. All, all the things that go on behind the scenes where, you know, people are giving to those in our community. You know, it, the, the privilege is just giving to the Lord and seeing how he's going to uh, multiply it. Last four verses here of Haggai. Then the word of Yahweh came a second time to Haggai in the 24th day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overthrow the thrones of kingdoms, destroy the strength of the kingdoms and the nations. I will overthrow the chariots and the riders and the horses and their riders will go down, every one by the sword of another. On that day, declares Yahweh of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shatiel, uh, my servant, declares Yahweh, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I've chosen you. 
declares Yahweh of hosts. This phrase, Yahweh of hosts, or, or Lord of hosts, or, or God of hosts, that you see here, and again, it's used multiple times throughout the book of Haggai. This means the one who is in charge of all the armies of heaven. And uh, Zerubbabel is going to be the signet ring of God. You guys know what a signet ring is, right? It's like a, a, like a stamp. You know, we don't really use them nowadays, but, but uh, in, you know, maybe received a letter, maybe it's a wedding invitation or something like that and has that, you know, wax seal on it. And normally nowadays it's a, a stamp with a, you know, brass or bronze on the, on the end of it with a, a stick. But, but in, in old times, it was always on a ring and the ring was on the person who had the authority behind the message, okay? And so uh, when Zerubbabel being called a signet ring of God, when God uses Zerubbabel as his seal to the message that he's sending, that, that signet ring of God, and, and we're going to see it also in the book of, of Zechariah as well, that Zerubbabel, when he speaks, it's as if God is speaking. The authority of God is behind him. He's just a governor. He's not even a king. And yet God is going to use him to change the course of Israel. Do you know there was another time when a, a signet ring or a seal was used, right? On, on the, the tomb of Jesus Christ. Remember there was a seal on it. And remember what that seal was used for? You know, they'd put the, the stone, and the stone wasn't just, you know, there to physically stop someone. There, there was a reason why there was a seal put on the stone. Because the wax, when it was melted, it would melt into a certain part, the cracks, if you will, the, the gap, if you will, of the stone and the tomb. And what happened when that seal was broken? Who had the authority even over the king at the time? Who had higher authority? Jesus Christ, right? And it's the same thing here with Zerubbabel, that this governor, this, this leader of the people of Israel at this time has the signet ring. And, and when, he, when he gets the message from the Lord, as we're going to see also in the book of, of Zechariah, the very next uh, book here, that when God speaks through Zerubbabel, it's going to have power behind the signet ring of God. The next book here is Zechariah. Zechariah is the longest of the minor uh, prophets. It's also the most apocalyptic of all uh, the Old Testament prophets. If you compare Zechariah to the book of Revelation, we're going to see a lot of the same imagery, if you will. Uh, Zechariah chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, remember, we were just in the ninth month in Haggai, and now we're going back a month, okay? Uh, it's in that same uh, time period uh, that Haggai was in. The second year of Darius, the word of Yahweh came to Zechariah the prophet, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo, uh, saying, uh, the amazing thing about Zechariah is the definition of his name. Remember, Haggai means, uh, you know, a party or celebrations or my holidays. Zechariah means Yahweh remembers. And the whole book of Zechariah is all about how God is remembering He's coming to them again as his people. By, by the way, does God ever give up on his people? No, he does not. Yahweh was very wrathful against your fathers. Therefore say to them, thus says Yahweh of hosts, return to me, declares Yahweh of hosts, that I may return to you, says Yahweh of hosts. Do not be like your fathers to whom the former prophets called out, saying, Thus says Yahweh of hosts, return now from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not listen and give heed to me, declares Yahweh. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But did not my words and my statutes, which I commanded my slaves, the prophets, 
overtake your fathers. Then they returned and said, as Yahweh of hosts proposed to do to us in accordance with our ways and our deeds, so he has done with us. Is God long-suffering or patient with us? And the reminder here is, don't be like your parents. Don't be like your dad. Because your dad sinned. And because you're the previous generation sinned, they were disciplined. They were put into bondage in Babylon. I had to discipline them. Don't be like, learn from their mistakes. I don't know if you had a parent or a grandparent that said, you know, do as I say, not what I do, right? Why? They didn't want you to make the same mistakes as them. They didn't want you to fall into the same consequences of sin that they did. You see, God remembers and he fulfills his promises, the very definition of Zechariah's uh, name. There in verse 7, on the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month Shabbat, in the second year of Darius, the word of Yahweh came to Zechariah the prophet, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo, saying, I saw at night, and behold, a man was riding on a red horse, and he was standing among the myrtle trees, which were in the ravine with red sorrel and white horses behind him. And then I said, my Lord, what are these? And the angel who was speaking with me said to me, I will show you what these are. You guys know what a myrtle tree is? There's only two places that myrtle trees grow. You know that, right? They, go, they grow along the coast in Oregon, Northern California, and they grow in Israel. Those are the only two places in the entire world where they naturally grow. Uh, myrtle trees are, are a very slow-growing tree. Their, their grain is extremely dense. They, they are prized for not only being turned into, you know, bookmarks and knickknacks and stuff like that, but also utensils and bowls because they are extremely good with not only absorbing oil, but also they provide a very, very smooth uh, surface because of the density of the wood. They are slow growing, and because of that, they are a very dense wood. They grow in a climate where, you know, that's very harsh in terms of wind and those kind of things. You look on the outside of the tree, and it doesn't look like much, but when you cut it open, it's absolutely amazing the grain of a myrtle tree. And so Zechariah, he's describing these myrtle trees. And by the way, the word myrtle tree is used more times in the book of Zechariah than any other place in the entire Bible. Okay? In fact, look at what it says there in the book of Isaiah. This is one of the other, only other references that we see. Instead of the thorn bush, the cypress will come up. Instead of the nettle, the myrtle will come up. And it will be to Yahweh for his renown, for an everlasting sign which will not be cut off. It's a sign of promise. It's a sign of slow growth that shows maturity and beauty in the end result. That, that, that sanding process, that oiling process of the wood and a wood that shows the luster of the beauty on the inside. The refining process, if you will. Verse 11 there, or excuse me, verse 10. And the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered and said, These are those whom Yahweh has sent to patrol the earth. So they answered the angel of Yahweh who was standing among the myrtle trees. And, and we have patrolled the earth. And behold, all the earth is sitting still and quiet. Everybody is enjoying life. Everybody is relaxing and resting. Verse 12, then the angel of Yahweh answered and said, O Yahweh of hosts, how long will you have, or have no compassion on Jerusalem and the cities of Judah with which you have been indignant these 70 years? How, how, how long are you going to keep your people in bondage? 
Yahweh answered the angel who was speaking with me with good words, comforting words. And so the angel who was speaking with me said to me, call out saying, thus says Yahweh of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and Zion. But I am very wrathful with the nations who are at ease. For I was only a little wrathful, but they helped helped increase the calamity therefore thus says Yahweh I will return to Jerusalem with compassion my house will be built in it declares Yahweh of hosts and a measuring line will be stretched over uh, Jerusalem the first thing we see here that God is a jealous God now we're 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 kind of you know uh mystifying jealousy if you will uh we 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 think of jealousy in in certain situations as something that's bad right how, how can god be a jealous god right how, how can he have jealousy if we consider jealousy a sin the the problem is we mystifying jealousy normally when we think in those terms we're thinking of envy not jealousy you see, envy is wanting something that I don't deserve or own. It's looking down the street at what your neighbor has and saying, I want that. It's the keeping up with the whoever your neighbor is. I'm not going to say it because it's wrong. Okay? You you understand that that's envy, and that's the tenth commandment. God says, "Do not be envious." We're not supposed to be envious. And whenever God is described as jealous, He's not being envious; He's being jealous. Jealous is the opposite. Jealous is something you have that's taken away from you, or leaves you. It's the jealous spouse when their spouse is cheating. That righteous. That is jealousy. Same thing with God. When God is jealous, his people go after other gods. His people go astray. He is jealous on purpose because he wants the best for his people. It's the same thing with the Israelites. It's the same thing with us. God is a, a jealous God because he wants the best for us. In fact, in the New Testament, we're described the bride of Christ, right? Is God jealous for his church? Is God jealous for his people? Because they're his. And he wants the best for them. In fact, he, he laid down his life for his people. He laid down his life for the church. That, that's how far the jealousy of God goes. Look at what it says there in verse 17. Again, call out saying, thus says Yahweh of hosts, my cities will again overflow with good and Yahweh will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. Is the jealousy of God overflowing with his love and mercy and his grace? As he loves his people. There's another word that's used here in verse 16. It's, it's this measuring line. Now, today we normally have lasers or, or you know, uh, tape measures, right? In, in olden days, and just like when we were uh, earlier, we, we learned about the, the, the plumb line, right? That, that, that tells, you know, perfect perpendicular, perfect perpendicular, perfect parallel. It, it, it describes a, a perfect, true straight up and down that string with a weight on it, okay? Where the measuring line was a, a, a string or a line that had markings every 18 inches, every cubit, okay? And, and so this line could be, you know, easily transported. You didn't have to take a stick. You didn't have to use your hand, you know, or something like that. There, there was, it was a purposely used a line to measure things that are greater distance than from the middle of your finger all the way down to your to your elbow or with a you know a certain span of a, a of a rod and so this measuring line that we're going to see here that is going to be used in this uh, section here is going to be used to measure israel verse 18 he says then i lifted up my eyes and saw behold 
There were four horns, and I said to the angel who was speaking with me, what are these? And he said to me, these are the horns which have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Then Yahweh showed me four craftsmen, and I said, what are these coming to do? And he said, these are the horns which have scattered Judah, so that no man lifts up his head. But these craftsmen have come to cause them to tremble, to throw down the horns of the nations who have lifted up their horns against the land of Judah in order to scatter it. And remember when we were in the book of, of Jeremiah as, and, and Isaiah as well, we learned about these four different kingdoms. They, and these are the same kingdoms that are being described here. The Assyrian, the Babylonian, the Persian, and the Greek. Every single one of these nations are going to be used to discipline the people of God. But yet in the same uh, turn, they too will be disciplined. The Assyrians are going to be no longer a nation. The Babylonians are going to be conquered by the Persians in a single night. And then the Greeks, they're going to take over the Persian Empire after the book of, of Malachi. And so as we go through the book of uh, Zechariah, and, and again, there's 14 chapters, okay? It's a little bit longer than the normal, you know, two-chapter book or three-chapter book that's in the, the minor prophets. So as you read through it, you're going to see a lot of imagery in terms of, you know, uh, similar things that happen in the book of Revelation. The, these multicolored horses, uh, these various horns that we're going to see, and they're all going to refer to what is going to happen in the, the future. But what I, what I want you to look for is the personal aspect of uh, Zechariah. Because in chapters 3 and 4, you're going to have some, some of the most amazing stories about the leadership of Israel, Joshua and Zerubbabel. And so as you read through this, as you, you know, hopefully uh, read ahead for next week, I, I'm looking forward to going through uh, this book and, and seeing how the Lord uses it to not only encourage us, but also to help us encourage other people. And, and by the way, you know, again, uh, on, on a Wednesday night, being here, going through these, you know, older books in the Bible, these archaic books in the Bible, uh, you know, don't, don't just leave here and, and well, well, that was a, you know, a, a nice thing. God, you better remember that I was here tonight, you know, or something like that. But, but how can it transform your life? How can you apply this to your life? And so, Father, as we go our separate ways, we, we ask that of you. And for each and every single one of us in this room, the application is different, thank God. The, the truth is the same, but the application to our lives is, is personal, it's intimate. And so, as, as we go our, our separate ways, I ask that you would challenge us tonight, that personally challenge us, personally stretch us, personally convict us, Lord. And it's so easy to do. It's so easy to be able to say, well, well, uh, you know, um, I, I did my part and, and now I can just go off and do what I want to do rather than our, our whole lives being dedicated to you. It's so easy to make up the excuses to become complacent, to be able to, you know, say, well, I'll let someone else do it rather than obeying what you have called us to do. And, and thank God you, you've given many, many different gifts in our church, many, many different uh, abilities and talents, and, and you've called people to different ministries, how you use people in various ways. Thank God for that. And so, Lord, help us to obey you rather than men. Help us to obey you uh, rather than the influences that can come into our lives uh, from mere humanity. And so, Lord, help us to be unselfish in our time with you. Help us to be unselfish in our love for the body of Christ. Help us to be unselfish in our time to, to glorify you. Lord, I thank you so much that there's so many talents and gifts. And just as we even saw tonight up here, Lord, how you've blessed our church in so many different ways. And you want us all to use our gift to edify and build up the body of Christ. So, Lord, I ask that you bless these, my friends and my family. I ask you bless this church, that you would revive us, that, that you would give us that strength, that renewed strength as, 
as Zechariah and Haggai are calling the people to. Help us to not grow faint or to grow weary in doing good. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you.